In other words, there's no longer any hope. Their heart has gotten so hard because of their rejection of Christ. You know, you reject Christ once, you know, your heart isn't that hard still. You reject him again. Every time you reject somebody presenting the gospel to you, your heart gets a little harder. It gets a little more calloused. Until finally it gets so hard that you've passed the point of no return. These people have passed that point. Uh, they are liking to, likened to a harvest that is beyond any usefulness it's rotten it's uh it's withered it's uh unusable and it just again pictures the rotten moral condition of the world which at this time has gotten so bad that there's nothing left to do with it except reap it throw these people into the fire remember that one of the parables that jesus gave in matthew 13 was the parable of the wheat and the tares let's call it the wheat and the weeds okay because tares uh, Darnell is the name, are weeds. They look like wheat, though, when they're growing up. In fact, they look so much like wheat that even experts can't tell the difference between the Darnell or the tares or the, the weeds uh, or the, the real wheat, except when they grow enough where fruit begins to form, the grain, the, the heads of, of the fruit begins to form on the stalk, then you know that one is wheat and the other is just a weed. But Jesus talked about this, that they were growing side by side together in a single field. And in the parable, the servants asked the master, do you want us to go and, and pull up the, the weeds? And the master replied, no, let them both grow together until the harvest. And at that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned, then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. And when Jesus interpreted the parable for his disciples later on, he said the harvest is the end of the age. The end of the age primarily is the seven-year tribulation period, which we're studying right now. But even so, we're looking now at the end of the seven years. So we're at the very end of this age. All right, We're at the very end of man's wicked control over the earth. That's what the Jews understood when they talked. To, they, when they understood this age, they understood it was man's rebellious age, the age of darkness, the age of rebellion. They were looking for a new age, not in a you know mystical new age goofy kind of way like some people, but the new age of the kingdom age, when Messiah would come and He would rule over the earth, and righteousness would cover the earth, and so on. And so, Jesus said, "The harvest is the end of the age." And the harvests are the angels. Now listen to how he describes this end time harvest in Matthew 13, verses 40 through 43. He said, Therefore, as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, 
so it will be at the end of this age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend, and those who practice lawlessness, and will cast them into the furnace of fire, and there will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous shall shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, let me just say this. Today, a tear or a weed can become wheat. All right? An unbeliever can get saved. But when the harvest comes, the day of harvest comes, the tares will forever remain tares and will be cast into unquenchable, eternal fire. That's why, you know, when the Bible says today is the age of grace, today is the day of salvation, when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Because you don't know if you're going to give another chance. You don't know if you're going to harden your heart the last time before you pass the point of no return. Or you harden your heart and t- tonight on the way home, you get into a car accident, and now you're in eternity without Christ. See, we have time right now. By the time the harvest comes, though, there is no salvation at Armageddon. Nobody gets saved at Armageddon. By the time the Lord begins to really reap the earth of these terrors, it's too late. Their hearts are so hard, there is no salvation, only judgment. And so we see the vision of the grain harvest. Okay, that speaks of the seven bold judgments. And then... It's followed by the vision of the grape harvest, which speaks of the judgments that take place at the battle of Armageddon. Verse 17 says, Then another angel came out of the temple, which is in heaven, he also having a sharp sickle, and another angel came out from the altar, who had power over fire, and he cried with a loud voice to him who had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in your sharp sickle and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. Now, as John watched, he sees two more angels that appear, the fifth and sixth ones in his vision here. Uh, The first of them had another sickle, because he was going to be doing some harvesting of souls and things uh, for judgment. And then the the second angel had uh, power over fire. And that kind of, as he comes out from... They come out from the temple, of course, uh, and this one has power over fire. It kind of uh, connects our thinking to the fact that uh, before the throne of God, there was fire. In fact, we've already um, looked at this altar. This this altar, um, he has power over fire, which came out of the altar. This is the altar uh, in the heavenly temple of the altar of incense. Now, we've already looked at these altars. We've already read about them. In chapter 6, verse 9, uh, we read that when the uh, he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? See, these believers were martyred by the Antichrist for their faith. And here they are in heaven now, and they are under the altar, and they're crying out to the Lord, Lord, how long before you judge those who have killed your saints? And verse 11 says, Then a white robe was given to each of them, and it was said to them that they should rest 
a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed as they were was completed. And then we read about this altar again in chapter 8, verse, verses 3 through 5, where it says that another angel having a golden censer came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense that he should offer with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne and the smoke, verse 4, of the incense with the prayers of the saints ascended before God from the angel's hand and the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar and threw it to the earth and there were noises, thunderings, lightnings and an earthquake. Now if you don't understand Old Testament, the Old Testament priesthood and all, uh, you're not going to understand what's going on here. You see, this goes back to the fact that in the Old Testament, every morning and evening, the priests would take coals from the brazen altar. The brazen altar was the altar of sacrifice. That's where the fire was lit. That's where the sacrifices were offered to God. They would take coals every morning and evening from the brazen altar, take it into the temple, which uh, was the first compartment, the holy place. They would mix these coals of fire with incense. And as the smoke of the incense ascended to God, it represented the prayers of the saints. Unlike verse 17, this angel does not come from the throne of God. He comes from the altar, which again tells us that in some way it's associated with the prayers of the saints, which means the time has come for those prayers to be answered. Remember now, these saints have been asking God for quite a while, Lord, how long until you avenge our blood on, uh, with those on the earth who have taken our lives? Lord, when are you going to bring judgment against your enemies who have killed your people? And now we see the angel come from the altar. That represents the prayers of the saints. And he has got judgment now, which he is going to let loose on the earth because the time has come for the people of the earth who have killed God's saints, his servants, to be judged. Verse 18 says, Another angel came from the altar who had power over fire, and he cried with a loud cry to him who, who had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in your sharp sickle, and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. And here, the unrepentant, rebellious earth dwellers, those people that, you know, they don't really want anything to do with God. Their life is right here in the earth. They are following the Antichrist. He's promised them all kinds of goodies, prosperity, peace, all kinds of things, you know. And so they've been following him faithfully. And we see that the time has come, and they're, they're depicted as these uh, clusters of grapes. The time has come for them to be cut off from the vine of the earth. What does that mean? Uh, I uh, interpret that to mean these folks have joined themselves to the Antichrist, to his false political system, his false religious system. And so God is likening them to a vine, the Antichrist being the vine, they being the branches in a sense. What does that remind you of? Another vine? Other branches? You know, as opposed to the Antichrist, we as the followers of Jesus Christ, Jesus said in John 15, I am the true vine, signifying there are other vines out there, other religious teachers that people have attached themselves to, but they don't bear fruit. They bear rotten fruit, they bear evil fruit, but they don't bear the true fruit of righteousness. Jesus said, I am the true vine, and you as my followers are the branches, 
and if you abide in me, you will bring forth much fruit. So we see a contrast here of those that have followed the Antichrist, and um, now they are being harvested for judgment. Those of us who have attached ourselves to Jesus Christ, we will live with him for eternity because to be a part of him, to be one with him, is to have the eternal life that is his flowing through us forever. The word ripe here in verse 18 says, you know, fully ripe, is not the same Greek word that was used in fifth, uh, verse 15 of something that is um, withered and dry and, and overripe that way. Uh, this is a word that means fully ripe, grapes that are absolutely so loaded with juice they're ready to burst. And it pictures really the, the earth's wicked, again, unregenerate, rebellious people bursting with the juice of wickedness and evil, that kind of thing. Just completely overripe. I mean, just, I mean, they have just, just indulged themselves in all kinds of evil, immorality during this period. And it's like they have just filled themselves with this evil and so on to the point where now the harvest has come and it's not going to be a pretty sight. Verse 19 says, So the angel thrust his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. So when this angel swung his sickle to the earth, all the people that have escaped the seven bold judgments, and there still will be people on the earth that have escaped the seven, they're, they're pretty severe. But those people that have escaped the seven bold judgments now, uh, the angel is gathering them together. Now, how is he doing it? We don't know. Probably the armies of the Antichrist are purposely moving. They don't realize they're being directed by God through this angel to this valley, which is the valley of judgment. They think they're coming to this valley to do battle against God. They're so deceived. You know, by the time we come to chapter 19, we'll see this, but we've talked about it already. They're so deceived by the Antichrist that they actually think they can go to war against God and win. So they're moving now towards the valley of Megiddo. We'll see that in a moment. And the angel is seen as kind of drawing them into this place where this final judgment is going to take place. And they're likened to grape clusters from the vine of the earth and they're going to be flung into the great wine press of the wrath of God. You know, when we were in Israel, we went to a, um, uh, a place that, um, that had an actual wine press from the old days, from back in the first century. And uh, they're not all the same, but the one we saw uh, was a, um, a stone basin. And it had a, uh, a hole in it. And underneath it was another stone basin. And they would put the grapes into the, the top basin where they would trample them with their feet, bare feet, and the juice would run down through the hole into the lower basin where the juice would be caught uh, and then it would be, you know, allowed to be fermented and so on, all right? Well, you can imagine uh, if you're trampling grapes, you know, your bare feet, how the juice is going to splash up all over you. And that becomes a vivid illustration of the judgment that's coming to these people, likening them to overripe grapes full of lust, wickedness, and evil. And the Lord is going to trample them underfoot. He is going to judge them severely in this valley and, of course, then for eternity. Turn to Joel 3. I mean, this is talked about throughout the Old Testament. I'll just give you a couple. 
in Joel chapter 3, starting in verse 11, it says, Assemble and come, all you nations, and gather together all around. Cause your mighty ones to go down there, O Lord. Let the nations be wakened and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat. For there I will sit to judge all the surrounding nations. Put in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come, go down, for the winepress is full. The vats overflow, and their wickedness is great. Multitudes, multitudes, in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. You know, I've heard evangelists use this for altar calls. This is the valley of decision. This is your moment to decide. Well, the context is judgment, not salvation. By the time these folks are gathered here in the valley of decision, the day of salvation is past. They are being gathered for one purpose, and that is to be judged. Turn to Isaiah 63, and hopefully it won't take some of you so long to find this passage. You better start reading those minor prophets. They got some big messages to talk about. Isaiah 63. We'll read the first six verses. Who is this who comes from Edom with dyed garments from Basra? This one, who is he? He's Jesus. This one who is glorious in his apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength, I who speak in righteousness, mighty to save. Why is your apparel red and your garments like one who treads in the winepress? I have trodden the winepress alone and from the peoples no one was with me. For I have trodden them in my anger and trampled them in my fury. Their blood is sprinkled upon my garments, and I have stained all my robes. For the day of vengeance is in my heart, and the year of my redeemed has come. I looked, but there was no one to help, and I wondered that there was no one to uphold. Therefore, my own arm brought salvation for me, and my own fury it sustained me. I have trodden down the peoples in my anger, made them drunk in my fury, and brought down their strength to the earth. This is actually going to be fulfilled in chapter 19, and just read verse 15. When Jesus returns to the earth, this is what we see in chapter 19. It says in verse 15, Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nation. Not a literal sword. The sword of the word of God, right? Sword of the Spirit. The same word, by the way, that spoke the universe into existence is the same word of his power that's going to cut his enemies down. They gather for battle. There is no battle. We call it the battle of Armageddon. It's not a battle at all. They gather for war. The, the Lord comes back and mows them down with the word that proceeds out of his mouth. And they get cast into you know, this, this judgment. It's incredible, right? But now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he, sh he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God. Believe me when I tell you, you don't want to be there for that judgment. If there's anybody here tonight who has not received Christ as your Lord and Savior, do not put off receiving him because it's just way too important that you are ready to meet the Lord. And if you receive him tonight, you, you're going to meet him face to face. But you're going to meet him in the air when he comes for his church 
and takes his people off of this earth before all these judgments begin to fall. Because he will not punish the righteous with the wicked. He will deliver us, okay? But if you refuse to receive him, you take a chance of hardening your heart so much that someday you're going to meet him. But you don't want to meet him when he comes as a conqueror, the lion of the tribe of Judah. Verse 20. And the winepress was trampled, listen, outside the city, and blood came out of the winepress up to the horses' bridles for 1,600 furlongs. Uh, the winepress is trodden outside the city, which means the Lord is going to protect Jerusalem from the carnage of the Battle of Armageddon. That's because Jerusalem is going to be his capital. It's the city of the great king. And so during the tribulation, during the millennial kingdom, of course, Jerusalem, the earthly Jerusalem, is going to be his, his capital. And so he protects it from the carnage that's going to be happening all around it. Now this battle is going to take place in the north of Israel, on the plain of Estrelan, which is uh, near Mount Megiddo. It's about 60 miles north of Jerusalem. And it's going to rage all the way down the length of Israel as far down as Basra in Edom. We just read about that in Isaiah 63, verse 1. Okay, the Lord is going to bring judgment all the way down to Basra. In fact, before he ascends, you know, down there is where uh, the Dead Sea, of course, the lowest place on the earth. Basra is about 20 miles southeast of the southern tip of the Dead Sea. And so the last place he goes to uh, executing judgment is Basra. And he ascends, and you do have to ascend. The uh, sea, uh, Dead Sea is 1,200 feet below sea level. Jerusalem is 2,500 feet above sea level. So you have to make that ascension. I told you the first time I went to Israel, we stopped in Jericho before we ascended to Jerusalem. And I got to tell you, it was quite a moving experience because uh, the bus driver put on a traditional Jewish song that the Jews would sing when they ascend to the city. And it talked about the city, you know, Jerusalem being the golden city. Well, the time of day we were ascending, it was the end of the day, we had finished touring, uh, you know, around the, the, the Jordan Valley, and now we stopped at Jericho. Now we were making our ascent up the road to Jerusalem where we would, you know, we would stay the next four or five days at a hotel. The sun was setting. And, and you have to understand that as the song is being played and they're singing about Jerusalem, the golden city, as you're ascending up, honestly, the sun was setting and it cast a golden glow on the city of Jerusalem. And because we were down and we could city, see the city in the distance, it literally looked like it was up in the clouds. It was quite a moving experience. I'll never forget it. And, and so as the Lord makes his way up from Basra to the city of Jerusalem, the saints ask him, what is this blood splattered over you? This is the blood of those that I have trodden down, the enemies of God, you know, as he then leads the saints who are alive on the earth through. Okay, the Mount of Olives, he's going to step on it. What's going to happen to it? It's going to split. And he's going to lead the saints and all of us, because when he returns, we'll be with him. All of us will follow him through the eastern gate into the city where he will sit down, take his rightful place as king. It's going to be an awesome, moving experience. And we're reading a little bit about it right here. But before he takes the throne, there is going to be this incredible carnage and judgment. Again, verse 20 says, And the winepress was trampled. 
outside the city, and blood came out of the winepress up to the horses' bridles for 1,600 furlongs. Some estimate by this time there could be anywhere from 2 billion or less people left on the face of the earth because a lot of people have already been killed. 6 billion right now, so 4 billion, all right? If 10% of the world's population, and it's doable, gathered in the valley of Armageddon from, you know, Estrelon down to Basra, I mean, that's a lot of people, 200 million people. That many people if slaughtered would produce a lot of blood, a lot of blood, but not enough to run four feet deep for 200 miles. And that's what it's talking about here. The blood up to the horse's bridles for what? 1,600 furlongs? That's four feet deep for 200 miles. So a better understanding would be there's going to be so much carnage, so many people are going to die. I'm talking millions and millions and millions of people. You've been listening to Day by Day, the verse-by-verse Bible teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel in Elk Grove Village, Illinois, with Pastor Phil Ballmeyer. Today's message, as well as many other studies, can be heard and downloaded free of charge from our website at daybydayradio.org. From our website, you can contact us, order resources, read Pastor Phil's blog, and also subscribe to our daily podcast. We hope you'll pay us a visit. And remember to join us for Day by Day, Monday through Friday, here on this station. Thanks again for listening, and please join us again next time as we continue to study God's Word. Until then, may the Lord richly bless you and guide your steps as you walk with Him day by day. day, by day.